Welcome to About This Writing Thing, a bi-weekly podcast about living the writing life. I am your host, novelist Sayward B. Eller, and I am thrilled to be with you again this week, bringing another author to the table to talk about their writing life and how they navigate the sometimes troubling waters of being a fiction writer. Today's guest has been self-publishing for about a year and a half, and she released her most recent title at the end of July. It is book two in the Drive Me Crazy series. She writes contemporary romance and romantic comedy. I hope that you will join me in welcoming Jure Anthony. Welcome to About This Writing Thing, Jure. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, I have introduced you. You do write romantic comedy, which they are pretty hilarious. I've read bits and pieces of your work, so. <laughs> and um, you also write contemporary romance. So um, tell me a little bit about where do you get your ideas from? Like, I can't, I always think I want to write a romantic comedy or just a comedy in general, and I just don't have it in me to be that funny. So tell us a little bit about where do you come up with your ideas? They just seem to find me. I've had a really peculiar life. That maybe that has something to do with it. Um, like I literally used to ride in a hearse to school every day um, until I graduated high school. So it's just like little quirky things like in my life. Um, and so I also have ADHD, which I didn't realize until this year. So I'm 34, recently diagnosed with ADHD. And I think that that has a lot to do with it too, just because it's like you're living life not knowing this huge part about yourself. And so you do find yourself in these really weird situations. Um, so my imagination is just like all over the place. So I'm always thinking about, you know, if I'm in a coffee shop and somebody does something, I'm like, oh, that would be so funny in the story, like if this happened. So it's like just weird situations seem to find me. And I also have like really funny friends. And um, yeah, so I just think that like, I don't know if I can write anything that doesn't have comedy. So it's, it's just who I am, I guess, at this point. So when you're writing your stories, do you kind of bounce the ideas off of your friends and say, well, I'm writing this story, and what if I had this happen? And then maybe they're like, oh, or you could have this happen. Yeah, kind of. It's more like my best friend is really funny, and she's just, like, over the top, um, inappropriate in a lot of ways, but I love it so much. And so she'll say something sometimes, and I'm like, I will take a note in my phone like so and that's another thing like if something funny happens I write it down so I have like weird notes that have no context in my phone and so I'm just like I know that you know this character is going to say this at one point or stuff like that so it's like I collect these little bits of dialogue throughout like the year and then put them together well that's very cool so do you kind of go through your notes and and then piece them together like a puzzle of which ones would go best with which ones <laughs> that that uh, didn't come out very eloquently but <laughs> yeah like the book I'm writing right now the main character is the third girl in my series so I know her well which is actually really hard because it's like because I know her so well it's hard to write the story because also the readers know her really well um and so 
I have a really good idea of like the things she would say or some problems she would have. And I'm not going to use all of them, but anytime like I get like a funny idea, I'm like, Oh my God, that would be so funny. <laughs> like if she lit her house on fire while she was smudging it, you know, because like she was trying to get rid of the bad energy and then like what could happen then? So just stuff like that. So it's like, I may not use it, but it's actually like a seed of an idea that I could spin off and do something else with. Very cool. Now, um, you said that you know this particular character, which I imagine if you have a string of characters that you're doing a whole series on, you have to know them all very well. So how do you feel about these characters, especially if you have any that are unlikable? How do you feel about the both the characters that you like and the characters that you don't like? Like, what do you love about them? What really gets on your nerves about them? And how do you how did you decide to write them that way uh yeah my characters kind of just showed up in my head one day and I will say that all my characters are maybe unlikable in some ways for other people but they're my babies and like that's human nature like we all have parts of ourselves that aren't likable so even if there's parts of them that maybe too much this or that um I love them all because one thing I want to do with all my books is have like a really good character development, character arc, and things like and things like that. So um, I guess like in my first novel, um, the main love interest, the guy, he's a little bit more rough around the edges, and so people may not like him or think you know, um, yeah, he's not as likable. But I know his backstory so well, and so it just to me it all makes sense. So I. I like my characters, even if my readers don't, so I don't know how good that is. (laughs) Well, I I kind of know what you mean. Like, my main character in the story that you and our other critique partners read this month, she's not really the most likable person in the beginning. She's kind of shrill and she's bitter, but... I know her, and I'm like, but she's going to get better. It's, she's You're going to maybe like her by the end. I like her by the end. So <laughs> so yeah, I, I get I what you're saying. Yeah, you have to have some room for growth. They can't be the perfect character at the very beginning. I think the important thing is to have, like, those little seeds of um, just, like, likability. It's like the save the cat uh, yes. idea. Like, at the beginning of the story, somebody needs to save the cat so that we know, like, we like them. Um, so they need to do something at the beginning. And so when you're reading, like, in a critique thing, you're only reading a very small portion of it. So you can't really make your mind up about somebody based on that. Yeah. And I'm very partial to characters that start out very ambiguous. They have a very gray kind of character. And, you know, you might not think that they are the nicest person in the beginning or, you know, they might just be a trash person in the beginning, but then as you go along, they you start to see these little bits of them and you start to see these little bitty changes so that even if they're not a great person by the end of the book, you see this positive change and you can say, okay, I can root for this person. And I love those characters. Uh, Libby Owens, she is a character like that. She is in Gillian Flynn's Dark Places. And she's really unlikable in the beginning. But by the end, I was rooting for her. Because I was like, don't you see you're not the same person that you were? That's fantastic. So I really love those characters that they're not like this smiley, perfect person 
in the beginning or even at the end, as long as I see some sort of growth from them, it's like I can root for them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and, and it's like in a realistic way. So in a past life of mine, not really past life, but um, earlier in my career, I worked for CASA which is court appointed special advocates. And like, um, one of the things that we had to be trained to think about was like, what makes that make sense? What makes this person's behavior make sense? Like when we were working with the families and stuff like that. So if you can apply that to your character and maybe they're not likable, but you can have like, what makes that make sense in the back of, you know, the story, um, woven in so that the reader sees that, then they're going to buy it a lot easier. I agree. I absolutely agree. You are self-published. So have you ever thought about getting an agent? Do you think in the future you'll try to get an agent or are you very happy being self-published? Um, so I think I would like an agent if I could just, you know, have it my way and I could just like conjure up something from my imagination. Um, I really like Sarah Adams. She's like a sweet, and clean romance author her story of how like she was self-published and I think she had like six books out six or seven maybe it was her seventh novel um really got the attention because it it um readers were just going crazy for it and it got the attention and she got an agent and so she sold that book and maybe some of her backlist um and so now she's traditionally published and so she's so much happier because she you know she talks about like it what works for her and like her time and she's like a, a mom and things like that and so it's extremely inspiring because I've never seen that happen before not that I've necessarily paid attention to how somebody goes about being traditionally published but um I definitely think that um I think that being indie while I learn is valuable to me because if I had that stop like if I had this um person you know dictating what is good enough and what is not good enough then I think personally I would be discouraged so I kind of feel like being indie right now like while I'm learning is the best because like I'm making a little money like building up a fandom and actually writing maybe where I wouldn't write otherwise because like I wasn't I there would be no accountability I guess um and so anyway like that's like I guess a dream maybe maybe not maybe I'll be happy being indie but if I was going to be traditionally published I think that's the way I would like to go about it whereas like I'm not constantly like putting myself out there to be rejected but maybe somebody just organically I know this is like pie in the sky like this is uh like organically somebody finds me and they scoop me up and then they're like everything is fine you get to just create and we're going to take care of everything else um I know that that's rare though but if I could pick that's what I would do well, I think it's becoming a little more, a little more common where, I mean, that's, she's the third, third or fourth author I've heard about just in the last year who has gone from being self-published to being, uh, to being agented and to having, yeah. uh, like the A.K. Mulford, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but mm -hmm. she is an author that I found through Writer Talk on TikTok. And she just announced uh, a month or so ago that she got a really great deal. She got an agent. She got a really great deal from a large house. So she was self-published. I think she self-published, I don't know, uh, maybe seven, seven or so titles. And now she's, she's got the, she's got an agent and she's got this book deal. So 
I think it's happening more and more because the publishing industry is a little more accepting of self-published authors now than they were when I started self-publishing over 10 years ago. Then it was, oh my gosh, you're self-published, you're, you know, you're nothing. But now I think it's getting a little bit better because there are so many writers out there who do approach it as a business just as they would if they were traditionally published. And, you know, they, they do the work that it takes to, to put it out there and to put the best product out there. And I think that that's really what, once they start getting that fandom that you mentioned, then everything has the potential to really fall in place for the self-published author so that they can get on that traditional path if they want to. I, I think yeah. some just have no desire whatsoever to be traditionally published, which is also cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like having the option. Like, back in the day, Pauline Hoover used to be, um, she would still have, like, some indie stuff that she would put out. So she was indie, and then she's traditional, and now and then she would do both, and I think now she's just traditional, which, I mean, she's got such a big backlist. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to, but it's kind of like having that option um, to do something really creative that may not be on brand with your traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think I would always like that freedom, so I'm really glad it's an option. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know that's what I'm doing. I, I have my contemporary line that is with my agent and will be my traditional stuff, but I'm also self-publishing historical. Uh, I have a historical coming out next year, and then I'll have a couple of paranormal titles, and then I have a novella that will be out next year. So it's just yeah. because traditional publishing is so, for me, because traditional publishing is so slow, I just want to see something happen. So yeah. not only am I writing the contemporary things for my traditional publishing, but I'm also trying to write things that I can self-publish just so I can see some movement because the wheels in traditional publishing move so very slow (laughs) for some of us. (laughs) Even if it's just like somebody reading your story and being like, I loved, you know, this story for this reason. And you're just like, that is all I needed to hear. Thank you so much. You know, (laughs) absolutely. Now I know you published your first book a year and a half ago. So you've been self-publishing for about a year and a half. What is your revision process like? Oh, God. Um, it's different every time. I think I wrote the first book three times full, like, revi- revision. And so, um, and I have a um, serialized fiction that is for free on my website or on my newsletter. Um, so that's technically a whole book. So mm-hmm. that's, like, my third book. Um, and I think... I struggled with the ending of that one too because I'm I'm a um, what's the word when you write it like chronological like yes me too writer mm-hmm. um, I can't just like pick up people say like oh pick up in the middle of the scene and you know then go back and work I can't do that yeah, like I don't either. know what's gonna happen until I write it I try to plot and so um, yeah revision it's kind of like I think I just try to get the bones of the story I really try to push myself um, to finish it just through the end and then I'll make notes along the way because. I learned with my first book that if I go back and change chapter three, because I want it to be this different thing, by the time I get to the end of the book, that may not even be the same change that I want to make. And then I've wasted time Mm -hmm. revising that chapter and I may revert back to the original or change it all the way again. So it's kind of like finish the draft and then go back and change um, the structure of the story to fit, then go back and tweak like the big things, then go back and like the little things and plug in, like weave in 
you know, different foreshadowing and things like that. So that's kind of how I handle it. It sounds like you are very much a revision writer. That's where, yeah, like, the beefy stuff it. really comes from for me is, you know, the first draft is just getting it out there, getting the story done, and then the second draft and the third draft and the fourth draft. That's where things, your characters really start to shape up. The conflict really is amped up. All of these really great things that come together to make the story whole, for me, that's where they are is during that revision yeah. process. As much as I wish it wasn't true. <laughs> I know. I wish I could just spit it out and yeah. it would all just be right. But because I hate it so much. I hate revisions. Um, well, there's parts of it like I don't mind. Because you kind of do have more. Um, it, it gives you a really good idea of what you have to work on that day. Um, versus like an empty page where you sit down and you're like, I don't know what's going to come out. Yeah. You know, or ha- what's going to happen next. Uh, so having, yeah, the revision, you're like, okay, I'm going to work on these two chapters and I know what needs to happen and change. So I do like that part of it. It just, you know, by the time you get to your fourth pass, you're just like, I never want to read this book again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. But also, I agree. I really, I think the reason I like revision so much is because I don't plot. Like, I, I'm like you, I can't plot. So, once the story is out, that's kind of my outline because I know what's going to happen, what has happened, and go in and, and pinpoint things to make them better. So, that is, that's very much the way that I do my revisions as well. <laughs> now, how do you handle the ups and downs of the creative life. Um, I had go to therapy once a week. Uh, um, and, and it's getting easier. I will say this. It is getting easier the more work that I put out. Um, because having only one book out, it was like brutal. Your whole like identity as a writer is based on these reviews that you get and feedback mm-hmm. and things like that. So if you have like back to back bad reviews on you know, only one book, you feel very much like at, I don't know, the mercy of other people, mm-hmm. I guess. And maybe that's like amazing that I'm letting other people, you know, control me in that way um, because it's a choice. But as I have more books out, it's a little bit less, I'm a little less sensitive to it because I'm like, it's like all of your um, criticism is like dispersed. And so then you have like the good stuff too. They're like blended in. Um, so I will screenshot, like, the good reviews. Like, somebody just left me a review, and they were like, this story was so creative and well thought out. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's, like, the best <laughs> thing anybody could say. You know, because it was like, you're telling me I'm smart. You're telling me, like, I did good with the story. Um, so, like, I'll screenshot those. And then when I'm having, like, a bad time or if I get, like, an ugly review or something like that, I'll look at the good ones. And I wish I could say that I don't read reviews, but I do. I, I look at them every day um and then like I just you know talk to my husband and my best friend and like vent and you know like have support of like the writing group and um that's helpful too because it's like nobody can um really understand I guess unless you're a creative person um specifically like writers you know Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I know exactly what you mean and once I have reviews I will probably read them as well (laughs) yeah it's so hard I hope to I hope one day that I have so many reviews that I don't feel like I need to read them because they are constantly coming in I also think when people are like don't read your bad reviews 
it's because they probably have like thousands of them mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah that's easy because you're constantly getting like if people are buying my book and I'm making like hundreds of dollars every day I don't need to read the reviews like right. the money is talking right, <laughs> right. So it's like, that's a different a whole different thing though yeah I, I, maybe that's one of the positive things about traditional publishing Publishing is you're so insulated. Like, you still see the reviews, but you don't see the money coming in. So, you can just kind of go on about your day and not really focus too much on it. I, I don't know. I just, I hate to think, like, I finished a book yesterday, a really cute romantic comedy. And I went and looked at the reviews and... It was astounding to me how many people gave it two stars. There were no one stars, but it was just astounding to me how many people gave it two stars. And I was just like, I really hope that this author doesn't read their reviews, those two-star reviews. But I guess they're just necessary because you're not going to make everybody happy. Right. Like, as long as it's overwhelmingly positive, hopefully... Hopefully when I start to get reviews, I won't obsess too much, but I also know I'm an obsessive personality, so. <laughs> well, it's like taking the things that you can actually change. So it's like if, if people are saying the same things over and over, like your character um, is too hard and rigid, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, um, like I have a note for my um, third book in the series. I'm like, make her, like, more likable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because my two characters are so different in the series, but one of them's like over the top anxiety and the other one's just kind of like, um, I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's just kind of bitchy and that's just, uh, and so, and that's just like her personality, but it's like, okay, soften a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so it's like taking that feedback and then it's like, I'm actually doing something with it. Um, and then I don't know. Uh, to me, that's like helping me be a better writer. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's that's what we should do with feedback is just take what works for us, take what helps us, and then leave out all the rest. I mean, if yeah. somebody is telling us how fantastic we are, we can definitely pay attention to that. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah. if somebody's saying, oh, this book sucked so much, but the character development was really great. That's the part of it that you want to hold on to. Not, oh, this book really sucked, but the character development was great. (laughs) There is, I watch a lot of TikTok, and there there have been big conversations lately about trigger warnings in books. And I know it's a movement that has really started gaining momentum within the self-publishing community. Do you include trigger warnings in your books? No. And so my first book was a little bit heavier on the, um, it it just had like some heavier topics of like mental health Mm -hmm. and just like grief and things like that. And so, um, luckily, like if you have early readers that are really used to being like arc readers and stuff, they will put the trigger warnings in their reviews. And I think that honestly, um, and I may be speaking out of turn. I don't, but as a reader, I think it is on your, I think it is on readers to do their own research if they have very specific trigger warnings mm-hmm. or triggers within themselves. Because, like, as an author, I don't know if you're triggered by, like, you know, different things and, and to varying degrees. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about, like, the littler things. Like, obviously, right. if it's like 
sexual assault, like that needs to be trigger warning on the front. But again, the readers usually do a really good job of listing those. And so, and mine's a romantic comedy. Like I said, the first one, it did have more heavy stuff. And so I'm really trying to keep that in mind, Mm -hmm. um, like in future books, like in this genre, unless I write like a different genre to um, just keep it lighter and things like that. Because a lot of times people pick up rom-coms because they want just something light. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just hard for me because I'm like so deep, you know? (laughs) Right. I mean, you can't help it when a little bit of darkness gets in there. Yeah. Well, I I agree. Like, I think that the trigger warnings should be reserved for, like, the really big things. Yes. Like, things that, because I think that what we do, just as a society at large, is we take terms, and over time, they become so diluted to yes. fit so many different things that people have ideas about that they're no longer what they originally were. So... Trigger warnings should be about things that are traumatic, like, um, yeah. like you said, the the sexual, the sexual abuse or domestic violence or big things yeah. like that. Like I will make sure to have trigger warnings in my books about. But on the book that I finished yesterday, I saw a reviewer say that there should have been a trigger warning that there was fat phobia in the book. And maybe it's because I'm Gen X and, like, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and this, like, everything just seemed like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, that tracks, (laughs) you know, as I was reading through this book. And I just thought that that was a really odd thing to ask for a trigger warning about because being fat in itself is not traumatic. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's not great, but it's not traumatic. And... People being fat phobic is not necessarily traumatic. Well, if it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it's like verbal abuse or bullying Mm -hmm. or something like that. But again, I just think that when you get so heavy with all the trigger warnings, it can be off-putting to a reader because they're like, oh, I thought this was like a rom-com. Exactly. What am I reading if I'm mentioning like any possible thing that could be a trigger? But um, I do think it's a balance, and I think that readers do a really good job. Usually, um, if somebody's that sensitive, I think it's like you need to do your due diligence like before you start reading and look through some reviews um, and just see what you can find. I don't know. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, trigger warning the big things, but, you know, I mean, the back blurb a lot of times is going to be, a trigger warning for you to let you know, you know, this is the thing, this is what the character has gone through. So that's how usually I gauge what might be inside of a book is what's on the back cover and what's in that blurb. But I think that is an interesting conversation and I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes from here and to see how many authors actually start to include trigger warnings and how they approach it yeah okay what is your best advice for writers who are considering self-publishing oh um first of all like i think you just need to have a group of friends writer friends are ideal um and just have patience with yourself 
um, if you're really serious about like your career and you're wanting to be self-published and you have like this vision, like I want to be making X amount of dollars in five years and you're a very um, consistent and driven person, I guess my biggest advice would be, uh, I could never follow this. It would be have like three books finished before you publish the first one and do your release strategy like that so that you can be consistent with your readers because I think that I waited so long to get book two out in my series that a lot of readers forgot about me. And unfortunately for self-publishing, um, especially if you're in Kindle Unlimited, um, the algorithm definitely favors like a rapid release strategy, which mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be once a month. But if it's in it, I think the best thing to do is to be consistent. So if it's like every three months, you're having a release or something like that. So if you're really trying to like start off on the best foot, the best possible um, way to be successful is to have like some kind of consistent release strategy and build up your newsletter um, in the meantime. So write something for free, have like a list. This is like, it's this is a hard thing to do. Have three things like written and then release it accordingly. But so the, the other side of that is that I got so much feedback on my first novel that I used that to write the second one and the third mm-hmm. one. And so I think that all my books are better and better. And so if I would have released three books at the same time, not having any um, feedback from readers, maybe that wouldn't be the case, but maybe it wouldn't matter. I don't know. So that's just something else to consider. But Well, I think that's very good advice. I mean, consistency is key in just about everything that you can do. So I think that is very good advice. And I thank you. We are out of time. Zoom is telling me I have eight minutes left. So (laughs) I want to say thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you for being in season three. I'm very excited about this season and for sharing a little bit of your writing life and your writing journey with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Have a great afternoon and I will talk with you soon. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with indie romance author Jeray Anthony. I have to tell you, I haven't laughed out loud so hard at a book since I read Bridget Jones, Edge of Reason, and that was in the early aughts. So if you like laugh out loud, really funny books, then you may want to check out Jeray Anthony's work. I recommend Drive Me Crazy. That's one of the ones that I have read. But (laughs) as soon as I find out the title of the next one, I'll try to let you know because it's pretty darn funny too. (laughs) Okay, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening, especially all season long to these fantastic authors that have come onto the show and shared their writing journeys talked about their books, and just have given you an insight to not only traditional publishing and indie publishing, but small press publishing and the ups and downs of everything, because there are plenty of ups and downs in the publishing industry. Our final interview is in two weeks on January 23rd, and it is with indie romance author Leela Lou Dolan. I do hope that you will join us then. Until then, um, not many updates for me. I finished my contemporary novel yesterday, 
at 92,000 words. And I am going to now begin the final edits for the novel that I have coming out in the spring. And if you are following me on Instagram, you will be able to see that cover. If you want to know the release date before anyone else, go to my website, saywordbeeller.com, and sign up for my newsletter. You can also sign up for the forthcoming About This Writing Thing newsletter by going to my website, saywordbeeller, forward slash podcast. And I will, of course, put those links in the box below. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for your support. I will talk with you again soon. Until then, take care and keep writing.